Thanks for listening to the Grace Life Podcast, where we want to know God, love people, and reach our world. If you have any questions or want to know more about us, you can always check us out online by going to gracelife.church. We would love for you to stay connected throughout your week and everywhere you go with the gracelife.church app. It's free and available wherever you download apps. We're in a series right now entitled People We Know. We're taking a closer look at how Jesus expects us to respond to difficult people, as well as a look at ourselves to see where our actions and habits line up with God's Word. Let's get into this week's message. We're closing out a series today. We've been doing this series called People We Know. And then we added a subtitle, or people we may be, talking about the difficult people in our lives, how God would want us to respond. And then hopefully the main thing you've gotten out of this series is how not to be one of those difficult people. We don't want to be like that to everyone else. So we started the series out with the unchristian Christian. Uh, they might be some of the most difficult people in our lives because, well, as soon as they say they're a Christian, we expect a certain thing from them. And then they turn around and do something that is very, well, not Jesus-like. And you just want to kill them so they can actually go meet Jesus and learn what Jesus is really like, right? I mean, come on. <clears throat> I know you don't say it out loud. You just think it, right? Those kind of things. All right. Anyway, and then we talked about the conflict avoider and then the control freak. It's been a, a fun ride. And uh, a lot of you have you know, been elbowing people. We've got extra marriage counseling we've needed to do after uh, this series, but that's all good. That's why we're here. So we're going we're gonna to end up the series today talking about the self-absorbed. Clearly none of you, right? I'll just tell you about me. How about that? There you go. Not Kent, just, just uh, the people in the front row. No, not, not the free front row either. No, not you guys. Uh, there was a, a couple of years back, I, I was, uh, picked up the phone to call a friend of mine, and I just immediately, as soon as I heard hello, started telling him all the things I needed him to do, what I needed him to do for me, the way I needed it done, what the deadline was, and everything. I mean, he just went through like this entire monologue of what you could do for me, what I needed you to do for me. And, and then there was silence. And I, I figured out, finally, something, something was wrong. Are you okay? And, and it turns out he wasn't. He'd just gotten some bad news that kind of changed his, his future for a little while. Things weren't going the way he wanted them to go. You know, the truth is, I should have started with, after he said hello, hey man, how you doing? But see, when we're self-absorbed, and by that I don't mean we're all bad people all the time, but we can get self-absorbed, right? We all have self-absorbed moments. Um, we all do. Some of you, I thank you for the three of you that can acknowledge that. You have, you've been graduated, you may now go to lunch. Those of you that did not agree with me that you have self-absorbed moments, you've got to stick around for the rest of the message. The problem is some people live in that moment a lot more than others. Come on, y'all know who I'm talking about, right? And we just have those, those ways where people are just always thinking about themselves. If you just saw the video and you saw Kayla and she had her nails done and she wants somebody to spread the stuff on the bun for her and all that kind of thing, she's not a mean person. You know, when we think about self-absorbed, we thought today we're just going to pick on those really obnoxious people. No, the truth is she just was thinking about herself at the moment. And we all do that at times. And she was not mean-spirited. She, she was just saying, hey, you know, I, I came into Chick-fil-A. You should be grateful I'm here at Chick-fil-A. And so here's what I'd like you to do for me. It came across self-absorbed, but I'm sure she would like to think that she's not that kind of person. Well, I was in my new office a couple of weeks ago on a Friday with the doors locked. Every door in the building is locked. My lights were off because I just wanted some time to get away from the rest of the world, kind of pray and, and, and get prepared for things because the move into the new building had been 
hectic to say the least. Had lost a lot of my normal time to prepare messages and stuff. And so Friday normally is my day off. And I'd, I was just sitting in the office just trying to think, just trying to pray, just trying to get ready for our first weekend in the building. I mean, there's, there wasn't even a parking lot, if you all remember that. There were no lines. It was pretty clear uh, that we weren't open for business, especially with every door in the building locked. And so then I noticed if one of the design flaws of our gorgeous new building is that you can walk up to every office window. And so there's this man walking up to an office window, sticking his face in like this. And he goes up to the next office window and he sticks his face in like this. And he goes up to the one. He finally gets to mine. I was the last one. And he sticks his face in like this. And he sees me in the dark in my office and he motions to a door. Come open the door. Well, I'm, you know, I mean, we're pastors, right? People come to a church sometimes and things are not going well for their lives and they're just, look, we've had amazing stories where somebody just say, look, I didn't know where else to go, didn't know who else to talk to. And sometimes it's those kind of moments that become the most amazing ministry moments that we have. We, we're like going for another month off of that. It's just, you know, the spiritual high that you get. And so I went to the door, went to meet this guy thinking, okay, Jesus, what are we getting ready to do? And he said, uh, here's my card. Uh, I'd like to sell you a copier. Now, I already know that four weeks later, I'm preaching on the self-absorbed, right? And I'm thinking, I should tell this guy why his life is not going as well as it should be. Why is he knocking on locked doors to try and make an income? Because a little self-absorbed. You know, I don't need a copier when the doors are locked. Chances are, if the doors are locked, we didn't want you coming to the windows and sticking your face in. But just like Kayla, I don't think he's a mean-spirited man. I think he's actually a very nice man. He simply had us focused on what he needed at the moment. That's all there was to it. So look, today we're going to talk about the self-absorbed and what the core problem is. It's really obvious. The core problem is one of two things. We either overvalue ourselves or we undervalue everybody else. And that's what it comes down to. We overvalue ourselves or we undervalue everybody else. His problem at that moment is I was just a potential customer. It didn't occur to him what I might be wanting to do with my life or what I might be doing or why the doors might be locked. There just wasn't anything to that. So what we're going to do today is look at the most simple recipe for flipping those two. We're going to flip them, right? Instead of overvaluing ourselves and undervaluing everybody else, we're going to flip those. If you've got your Bibles, you can turn with me to Philippians chapter 2. I'm going to show you this really, what I think is an easy recipe. If not, it's going to be on both of these screens right here. We're going to start in chapter 2, verse 3, and it says this, do nothing do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Now, if you're new to church, that might be like just a wow statement. Wow, that's amazing because it is. It is truly an amazing statement. But the truth is for people who have gone to church for a while, this is one of those verses that gets quoted a lot. It gets preached on a lot. And so many people actually have it kind of memorized, or at least they can fumble their way through it, if not actually say it all the way through. And what happens, because we've heard it so much, is it's kind of lost its punch. And we don't really kind of get what it's supposed to do in our hearts, because it's just, it's, hey, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit and humility, count others more significant. Oh, that's really sweet. Here, let me open the door for you. And that's about as far as it goes to us. What I'd like to do is, is uh, if we could, just kind of dig a little deeper today. I don't normally do some of this word-for-word -word kind of stuff, but I, I want us to translate this 
into a different set of words that have a little bit more soul punch. Is that okay? I'm going to tell you up front, we're going for a soul punch. You know, like if anybody ever tries to punch you in the nose, it's good if they tell you first, right? So then you can duck. So I just warned you, if you stay in the room, it's coming. And nobody leaves. Praise God. All right, here we go. So let's look at this thing. Selfish ambition simply means that you have a concern for your welfare above someone else's welfare. What you want in the moment is more important than what everybody else wants. And we get a little confused with ambition. You'd say, I'm not an ambitious person. I don't want to climb the career ladder. I'm, I, I'm not like that. Well, the truth is, in the original language, as well as in some of your versions, depending on which Bible you're reading, it's only one word, and it's just selfishness. It just says, don't be selfish. And then we get really offended. Who you call a selfish pastor? I'm not selfish. You know, that kind of thing. But it simply means that we don't want to have concern for what I want above what someone else wants or conceit. So he said, well, maybe that's not your problem. Maybe your problem is conceit. You know what conceit is? Look, just simply this. Excessive pride. It means you think too highly of yourself. So what he's telling us so far is do nothing from. So start with this. Don't let your motivation ever be when you get out of bed, when you get started, when you walk into Chick-fil-A and order food, whatever it is that you do, don't get started with the idea that your welfare is more important than that person's welfare or that you just think you're the stuff. That's, that's kind of a little more punchy, isn't it? And you'd say, but wait a minute, that, the whole reason that person at Chick-fil-A is there is just to take my order. I'm not supposed to get to know them. Well, that might be our human way of thinking, but what if the Holy Spirit has a different idea about that person that day? What if that person that day had a bad day? And instead of somebody barking orders and saying they can't do their own mayonnaise because of their nails, what if they need someone to just notice them for a minute, right? So let's keep going. Humility. Well, that one's easy because we're all so good at it, right? I was going to see who said so because you know then you failed the test. All right, so here we go. It simply means having an attitude that lacks pride and then count. I love this because it goes back to our core problem. See, one version instead of the word count actually says value. And what it means when it says the word count is that we value others above ourselves. And so as we're talking about either undervaluing them or overvaluing us, I love how this passage literally tells us that we're supposed to value them more than we do ourselves. And think about this. Anybody ever gotten a new car and the way you value your new car? I mean, your old car, some of you are already smiling, you know what you do. See, your old car, you just parked as close to the door as you could because you didn't want to walk because that was just tough to walk as we go into the buffet <laughs> to eat, right? You know, we know it's going to be tough walking back. That's what it is. We want the car close to the door. But you get a new car and suddenly you value the paint job. You value the dings being in the door, not being in the door. So you don't value your walk. You don't care about that. What's more important is to protect your little car, right? Okay, some of you are not connecting with this. Let's try another analogy. Parents. You were it until you had a kid. And then suddenly, you don't sleep anymore. It doesn't matter what you want to eat. It matters what makes them happy. You give up your play money, your fun money, your hobby money to take them to Carowinds. You do whatever it takes. Why? Because you value your children above yourself. Come on, any parent in the room who values your children above yourself, raise your hand. Because we do. We do. Right now, if someone burst into the room with a gun, the first person you would protect is sadly not the pastor. No, no. 
No, you would protect your child. You would immediately, you know, cover them or something like that. In every movie you've ever seen where a parent and a child is in some disastrous situation, the first thing that happens is the parent goes to protect. That's what it means to count them more significant. You value them above the way that you value yourself. And then this last part, don't miss this. This whole more significant thing, it actually says it like this. They're important enough to merit your attention. If they're significant, it means they should be important enough to merit your attention. Now, if, if you could ask me, I think it all boils down to just this one part right here. Because the reality is, we don't see people. It really starts with, we just don't see people. Like that video that we were just watching, it was kind of funny and everything, and Kayla was just giving her order. She didn't see a person. That person's name is Paige. She didn't see Paige. She saw a Chick-fil-A robot. She just saw a thing that is supposed to push a button when she talks to it. She didn't see a person. And I think this is where our problem begins. It's because you can't value them until you see them the way that God sees them. Does that make sense? You see, what we don't notice is that every one of these people is actually someone created in God's image for a very specific purpose. And we just think because of what they're doing right in front of us at the moment that we, we can just treat them like a thing instead of a valuable human being. We don't see them as valuable image bearers of God. We don't see them as a valuable equal to ourselves in terms of God's creation. We don't see them as someone with God-given talents and abilities to, to bring to the equation. We don't see them. Come on. I know somebody in here has done this like most of you have done this. You're halfway through a meal. The waiter or the waitress. We'll just go with waitress for the moment. Sorry, ladies. We're just going to go with that. And, and, and your drink is empty. And, and you've been waiting on her to come by and refill the drink. And has it come to refill the drink? And you've gotten to a point, you need to flag the waitress down because you need your drink glass refilled. And so you kind of look around the restaurant and you turn to your wife and go, Honey, which one is our waitress? Come on, I've done it. Anybody want to admit it with me? You know, and, and you know why that is? Because we didn't see them. They've already greeted us. They've already asked if we wanted an appetizer. They've already taken our order. They've already fixed our drinks. And at best, we know they're a waitress, not a waiter. That, that's as much as we can remember. Well, I, I'm pretty sure it wasn't one of the guys. Honey, which one is out? We don't see people. And one of the things that we need to understand is someone's job or someone's position before you does not make them of a lower value as a person. I was a teacher for 11 years. And we had a class that you could only take in your last semester as a senior because we were all future band directors. And so this class was, it was really one of the more off-the-wall classes we would ever do. It didn't really do anything to... Uh, prepare us to go and teach per se because it didn't give us a lot of information about that what it did is it was this really cool class in a sense because it tried to sum up everything you'd already learned so for instance the biggest thing that we had to do in the class was not write a paper about education we had to write a paper about what we believed about education in other words before you go teach you you, you needed to know what you intended to accomplish what was your life mission and it, it was kind of cool it's called a philosophy of education and then I had to do the same thing as a pastor, a philosophy of ministry. What, what matters, so to speak? Now, here's the point. 
So as in this class, as we were wrapping these things up, this former band director teaching all these future band directors, he says, let me tell you what might be the most important thing I could ever tell you. You're about to get a job. And when you get a job, the principal is not the most important person in your life. And I'm thinking, wait a minute, the principal is going to hire me. The principal is going to answer all my problems or answer all my questions. They're going to give me permission to go on field trips or not on field trips. I'm, I'm, I'm pretty sure you got this wrong. And he said, no, 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 look, when you get your first job, there are two people that are the most important people in your life. And you need to get to know them, take them flowers or candy bars or whatever it is. He said, it's the secretary and it's the custodian. And you know what I've learned? The secretary and the custodian rule your world, man. I'm telling you what, you need to know them more than anything. But here's the, the reason I'm telling you that is because in natural human terms, they're kind of at the lower end of the career spectrum. They're at the lower end of the esteemed position spectrum. I don't mean to insult anyone if that's where you are. Please forgive me. I'm just acknowledging the way our world sees things. And so as a result, people tend not to see a custodian. They just treat them like a robot that is supposed to clean up after them. They don't notice the secretary. That's just someone who's supposed to take messages and give them their mail. And that's why we don't see a waitress or a mechanic. Because, well, we're paying them to just do a job for us. I don't need to spend any attention on them. They're not worthy of meriting my attention. You would say, why does that matter, Jimmy? Why are you harping on that? This right here. Look at this. The Holy Spirit can't use you to touch a life until you see a life worth touching. <laughs> that hurt, didn't it? See, the Holy Spirit can't use you to touch a life until you see a life worth touching. As long as that waitress is a robot to bring you food, the Holy Spirit can't use you to change her life. And you don't know what she went through that day. You don't know what her morning was like. You don't know what experience she just had. When the mechanic is just somebody you want to drop your car off with and make sure they do a good job and you don't care if they are a person with a name or a family or a difficulty, well then what that does is it removes us from the very thing that God wants us to do on the earth. People just become things. And why is that? Because we overvalue this and we undervalue them. We're self-absorbed. And again, I don't mean to insult us. Because we all do it. You walk into a place and it's all about what you've got to do. You've got an appointment. You've got to get done. You've got to get back to the office. I mean, that's why we go through the drive-thru half the time. Just give me my coffee with the least interaction. At most, I'm going to see this much of you through the window. And then the window's going to close right after you take my credit. Yes, I love it. I don't have to pay attention to you. You don't have to pay attention to me. We're, it's just going to be great. And then God can't use us to touch people because, well, we don't see people. So, here's the version we've landed on. Don't be motivated by your welfare above everyone else's or by simply thinking too much of yourself. No, actually have an attitude that says people, every other person is more valuable than you and that they're actually worthy of your attention. So he goes on to say this, let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interest of others. This is a simple warning because our natural inclination is to be focused on ourselves. And so then he gives us the best example as a reminder he ever could. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, 
Always go back to Jesus, right? Who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. I want you to think about that for a minute. This is a theological mystery, and I'm not going to take time to preach that mystery today, but Jesus was fully God and fully man. It is the only way that he could pay for our sins by being fully man, because if God pays for our sins, you and I are still in trouble, all right? So he has to be fully man, but in order to be perfect and to not be taken down by the human nature, he's got to be fully God. Greatest mystery, we'll preach that another day, but here's the point. Even though he was fully God, the Bible tells us he voluntarily said, I am not going to operate as God while I'm on the earth. I'm going to operate as a man filled with the Holy Spirit while I'm on the earth so that I can give all of you an example of how to live your lives. So here's the thing. Even though he was fully God and always had been God and always will be God, it says he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Are you kidding me? You are God. Yeah. But he chose to say, who am I? Now here's the thing. So our Savior, follow this, this is important. He did not count equality and we count superiority. He didn't count equality. He was equal with God and he didn't count it as being equal and we are not above and yet we count superiority. You are just that to me. You are just that. I don't need to pay attention to you. I, I'm, no, no, no. You're just here to serve me. You, you are a, a customer. You are an employee. No, no, I am the CEO. I am whatever. And, and that's where we get to. And this is the core problem in our world today because as soon as we start counting superiority, then that's where we get racism. That's where we get prejudice. That's where we get everything else that says, I am better than you. What I want is more important than what you want. It's destroying our world. The fact that we don't live this one passage is way more than just the way you treat a waitress. The fact that we don't serve every other person as though they are created by God and treat them as though they're more valuable than us. See, he did not count equality a thing to be grasped but he emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, which is funny because he is far superior than those he served. Us. So when you do find yourself looking at someone and you think, they're far inferior to me. Okay, if you really think that's true, then just do what Jesus did. Because we were far inferior to him and he still died for us. Being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So look, what is our response going to be? <laughs> Simple as, this is not rocket science. Humble ourselves, serve others. Humble ourselves, serve others. It's, it's that simple. Humble ourselves. I want to show you this real quick. Romans 12, check this out. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. This is Paul writing to the Romans who are new believers, or he hopes they're going to be new believers, and he's trying to just lay out some basics. Hey, look, stop acting like the rest of the world. Stop doing what the rest of the world does. And so he actually goes as far as to say, stop thinking like the rest of the world. Don't be conformed, but actually change your mind. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Now, you would think the very next thing he says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Stop those lustful thoughts. Stop those greedy thoughts. Stop the things that you're, the materialism in your head. Stop the, all. no, no, no. You want to know what his first thing is that he said to change about our thinking? 
Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, and do not think of yourself more highly than you ought. But wait a minute, seriously, Paul, like, if we, you don't want us to deal with the lustful stuff? No, no. We'll deal with that a little bit later. Matter of fact, that might go away if you stop trying to, no, 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 start with yourself. Do not think of yourself more highly than you ought. You see, we, we think about this idea of humbling ourselves as some sort of humiliating action. Most of the time when somebody says, you need to humble yourself, you think about doing something right now that is humiliating. Humble yourself. Oh, you mean i got to go and apologize in public in front of 20 people? Because, you know, I, I said something bad to an employee. So humble myself means go over here to this employee in front of everybody else and go, I'm sorry. That's, humili- that's a, just a humiliating thing. And we, we try to make it through those 30 seconds. Or we think humble yourself means, you know, let the schoolyard bully pick on you and you just get beat up or whatever it is. But see, humble yourself is not about a humiliating action. It is about changing how you think of yourself. Does that, does that make sense? It, it's not a one-time thing you go and do that embarrasses you. I mean, there are going to be times where you've stuck your foot in your mouth and you may have to go and do something that's remotely embarrassing, like apologize. <laughs> Husbands, come on, we learned that one, didn't we? We do that a lot. All right. But no, it is simply a state of mind where you think differently about yourself. C.S. Lewis was amazing with what he said because, you know, some of us, we take this the wrong way. And there are some people this morning, your problem is not thinking too highly of yourself. You actually think too low of yourself, right? And so you would you'd say, oh, I don't struggle with that at all, Jimmy. Matter of fact, I don't think I'm worth much at all. And I'm not sure life is worth much. And we just keep going down that path. And we've got the opposite thinking going on. Look, that's not being humble. C.S. Lewis said this, humility is not thinking less of yourself but thinking of yourself less. Thinking less of yourself is equally insulting you as God's creation as it is insulting the other person that you used to insult. People misunderstand humility, that humility means I've either got to be embarrassed or put myself down. No, humility means just simply thinking of yourself with a correct perspective, the perspective God has of you. Is anybody familiar with the DISC test? Like there's the D-I-S-C or the personality type things. So just to, I'm a DC. If you haven't figured that out yet, you haven't spent much time with me. And so this is really, I'm glad some of you are laughing because most pastors are I's and S's because the I and the S are people people and the D and the C are not people people and yet I'm a pastor. How crazy is that? But here's what's funny is I remember for a lot of my life, as soon as I figured out I was a DC, and as soon as I figured out God had called me to lead, which is the lead, right? You know, I'm, I'm a leader, I'm a DC. I notice everything and I lead well. And I was like, yes, God. I used to, I mean, I seriously thanked God that he created me with the superior personality type. <laughs> That's not very humble. I honestly and sincerely believe that there was a combination of the personality types where one was better than another. And then God began to show me pastor friends of mine that were naturally more successful. I had to work at things that they were doing well. And I noticed it's because they weren't DC. They were something else. I said, wait a minute, God, this is not computing. I thought you made me the best. So naturally, when this guy gets out of bed, he is 
better at pastoring than me because you made him to like people. It's not putting yourself down. It is having a sober perspective of who you are. When you find yourself saying, God, thank you that you made me the best, that's not a sober judgment of who you are. Rather, think of yourself with a sober judgment. That's how we humble ourselves. How do we serve ourselves? Mark chapter 9. Fun little story here when they came to Capernaum. By the way, been there twice. It's a super cool little town on the the border of uh, the Sea of Galilee. And when, next time we take this uh, church to Israel, I hope some of you will join us so you can say you've been there too. And, and it, so it says, when, when he was in the house, he asked them, this is Jesus, what were you talking about on the way? And uh, well, they didn't say anything because they had actually been arguing with each other about which one was the greatest. I could just see it right now. Because first of all, the guys who thought they were greatest were clearly the DCs in the group. So they were just, I could just see them just like me. No, we're the best. We're the DCs. We're the leaders. We see everything. Who cares about people? I mean, they're all going to get like hit with lightning or something if they're bad people. If they're good people, they're going to heaven. That's God's problem, not my problem. We're, we're the best. Anyway, so they were, they were arguing about which one of the disciples was the best on the way there. And so he sat down. He called the 12 because he knew what they were thinking, even though they didn't answer him. Man, wouldn't that just be tough? Like hanging out with Jesus. Like even if you don't answer the question, he already knows it anyway. Man, wow. Anyway, he said to this, if anyone would be first, he must be last. And he must be servant of all. You know why we say humble ourselves and serve others? Because this is a simple truth. There is no greater demonstration that you value others above yourself than when you serve them. There's no greater demonstration that you value others above yourself than when you serve them. Humble ourselves, serve others. One of the things that blows my mind is watching the people on our serve team, I don't know if you know, our, our serve team I think is fantastic. They're phenomenal, the amount of hours that they give up for other people. And, and I literally am watching people who are the top of their business career. They've got degrees from Ivy League schools and they stand in the parking lot and direct cars or they greet a guest and show them around the building. And, and at their job, they're, they've got the corner office at the end of the hall and nobody would ever say, can you tell me where the bathroom is? And yet they, they come into this place and they say, forget my title, forget my degree, forget my pedigree, forget everything, forget, no, 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 how can I serve? It just blows my mind to watch how we can have a heart to serve other people. I just want to encourage you. Humble yourself, serve others. I'm going to close with a very simple question today. Do you want God on your side or against you? This is pretty easy, right? You want God on your side, raise your hand. You want God against you, raise your hand. It's a very famous verse in the Bible. Many of you know what I'm about to say. If you don't, this is a great one for you to learn. It says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Now, I know this messes with us because, well, we think God is love. God is just, every day is just going to be like a walk in the park because God is love. He would never correct me. He would never, you know, stand in the way of me getting what I want. No, I'm sorry to tell you, that's, that's not the full picture of God in the Bible. You see, God opposes the proud means that what we attempt to do to elevate ourselves above the rest of his creation, he's actually going to oppose 
what you do to value yourself while devaluing everyone else, the Bible says God is going to stand in the way of that. But to anybody who flips that, to anybody who is humble, to anybody who values others above themselves and tries to help others succeed, well, then God's going to come and give grace to them. And the funny thing is they're going to succeed anyway. You have to decide. Do you want to try to make it on your own, in your own pride, with your own value against God and God against you? Or do you want to spend your life valuing others and letting God's grace take care of you? Humble ourselves, serve others. I want to close by talking to those of you who have yet to make Jesus your king. This is the first, most important, and quite possibly the greatest act of humility you will ever do. You see, the do not think more highly of yourself, but think of yourself with sober judgment is when you say, you know what? I am a sinner. I cannot be right with God on my own. And I do need Jesus. That's sober judgment. And that's thinking of yourself the way you need to. See, Jesus died on the cross voluntarily to pay for your sins so that you wouldn't so that you would have eternal life and fellowship with the Father. It's that simple. But for every single one of us, what we have to do at some point in time, for some of you, that might be this Labor Day weekend, 2018, we have to look Jesus in the face. Time condenses over 2,000 years, becomes one moment, and you look at Jesus and say, thank you that you died for me. Now I'm going to live for you. If you've never done that, I want to help you do that right now. You don't have to stand up. I'm not going to do anything to embarrass you. We're all going to pray right where you're seated. Would you all join me? If this is you, pray something like this to yourself and to God. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you died for me. And now, I do want to live for you. I thank you for your love, your mercy, your forgiveness. I thank you for paying the penalty that I owed. And my simple prayer here today is that you would give me a life of great meaning and great purpose in your kingdom. Amen. Let's celebrate with those people. Amen. Yeah. Thank you for joining us for this week's message. If you've made the decision to follow Jesus, congratulations. It's the best decision you'll ever make. If you've been impacted in any way, we'd love to hear about it. Head over to gracelife.church resources where you can share your story and find other tools for following Jesus. We hope you go out and make Jesus famous in your world.